All right. Romans 1, verses 26 and 27. We're moving right along, doing two verses at a time. and 27. I'll go ahead and read them and then we'll get right into to it. It says, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of error which was meat. Before I dive into this text, because this text is this text is a hard text, obviously, and I know there's many churches out there who won't touch this text at all. Um, but I do want to kind of back up and give us a, our context of where we're at here, um, which we do every single week. But remember, Paul is writing to the Roman Christians there, who were who were somewhat of a new church, obviously, because the New Testament had just started, the New Covenant had just started. Um, or was it, it was kind of in a transition period from the Old Covenant into the New Covenant for that, I believe, for a 40-year period from the time of the resurrection and ascension of Christ to the day that God destroyed Jerusalem is the, the, the transition period from the Old Covenant into the New Covenant. And that's the period that we're in right here. And that's what Paul is writing to these Roman Christians here. And they were surrounded by idolatry there in Rome. We looked at the history of Rome, some of the history of Rome there, and we saw they had these pagan pagan gods um, and goddesses. And they had a lot of them. It wasn't just one. Um, so these Christians are there and they're getting persecuted and they're facing death. For what? For saying Christ is Lord and Caesar is not Lord. So we also know that coming up, we know from history, not from this context here, but that, that Paul is going to be <laughs> beheaded by Rome. Um, so the persecution was real. It wasn't something that was what we tend to face here in America today of somebody maybe making fun of you because, oh, look, so-and-so is a Christian. They're a holy roller. They're a Bible thumper. It wasn't that way. It was that if they knocked on your door right there, you might die today. Or your wife and kids might get slaughtered in front of you until you turn from Christ and say Caesar is Lord. But Paul, one of the things he mentioned was that he was not ashamed of the gospel. And this was what he was preaching to the Romans. He says, For I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. To Even though you're a Christian, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you. Why? Because it's important. It doesn't only save us, but it also grows us. So Paul was ready to preach the gospel. He said he was not ashamed of the gospel. And the gospel was a thing that caused the persecution. It wasn't the fact that they were maybe partaking in the Lord's Supper or baptizing people. It was because they were preaching the gospel and saying, Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's what brought the persecution. And that's what Paul says he's not ashamed of. 
And then we get in our direct context here where we see it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. So we see, we're seeing right here that Paul is pronouncing this judgment on all men. And he starts here with the, these Gentiles. And he talks about how, how God is revealing His wrath from heaven. We saw that it was a present tense thing. It was happening then, as it's still happening today. And how does He do it? We see through the text here. And why does He do it? Because they hold the truth as unri- in unrighteousness. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So God is revealing His wrath from heaven. What else did they do? They weren't thankful. Remember that? They said they weren't even thankful. And when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, but exchanged the glory of God for the glory of the creation, for the glory of man. And then we get to this context right here, and it says, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. So I have, which is odd, but I have six points. The first one is the cause, but before we get into that, look at verse 24. Paul's saying the same thing. And you notice this theme here. He says it here in verse 26, For this cause. Remember, almost every single week when I get up here and speak, it's, Wherefore, therefore, for... He's always pointing back to what I previously said. He does the same thing in this verse right here. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. And we see in verse 24, Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. The same language there. In verse 24, God gave them up to uncleanness. Verse 26, God gave them up to vile affections. For this cause. The cause was men suppressing the truth and they are given up by God to themselves. We saw in verse 24 that they are given up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. In other words, God gave them up to what they already wanted to begin with. And this is the reason for them suppressing the truth to begin with is because they wanted the lust of their hearts so God gives them up to it. Now in verse 26, we're seeing the same thing. The cause here. What is the cause? The same cause that this whole section has been about. It's not that they are murderers or rapists that God gave them over. It's because they suppressed the truth. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They aren't thankful to God for His providence. That's why He gave them over. Do you see that there? That God doesn't only punish the Adolf Hitlers of the world. His justice demands that all sin be punished. No doubt that Adolf suppressed the truth, and that was a downward spiral for them. I don't know if you remember, we were talking about this downward spiral of humanity, and that's what we're seeing right here, this downward spiral of humanity. But the only difference between Adolf Hitler and others who God gives over is they don't have the power that Adolf had. Remember, he had... He was a powerful man. You can't say that those today that suppress the truth and God has given them over to themselves, if they had absolute power, they would not destroy you as a Christian. There's a saying that says, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And if you don't believe that, you look back through history and you see men. You see Pharaoh. You see Nebuchadnezzar. You see Nero. You see... Hitler, you see Mussolini, you see Genghis Khan, 
All of these men, you'd look back through history, you see all these men, do you think they were there for the good of humanity? They weren't. They slaughtered men for power. And because they had the power to do it, God had given them over, they had the power to do it, and they destroyed men. God had given them over, but they had the power. God may have given over your neighbor, but they don't have the power or freedom to murder you. So they don't. But the day that they had that power, they would. In our text, it's the same word that's used in verse 24, and it means to deliver up. When God gave them over, He delivered them up. The exact same word that was used in verse 24 that we dealt with last week. That He delivers them up, He gives them over, He commits them, He entrusts them to themselves. And you remember last week, what we talked about is God, even though our God is sovereign... Even though I believe that God had ordained from eternity past that these men be given over, He does not force them into it. He does not coerce them into it. He does not push them into it. He does not shove them into it. They choose it by themselves. And God allows them to choose it. And remember last week we talked about it with Pharaoh. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But the text also said that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And we talked about how when God hardened Pharaoh's heart, it wasn't that he reached into his heart and made it harder. He just pulled back his restraining hand. And in so doing, Pharaoh's heart got harder. And this is what we see when God gives men over and women over. The second point is here is the affections. So we had the calls... Now we have the affections. When he gives them up, the only response by man is to run headlong into that. If you could picture for a moment, say somebody's walking down the street with a, a big pit bull or bull mastiff or whatever it is, big muscular dog, and he's pulling the owner. I'm sure you've seen people walking their dogs and it's like, stop, you're pulling. And because there's a cat on the other side of the road. What happens when that owner lets go of that leash? That dog runs beeline straight for the cat. That's what man does when God pulls his hand back. And he, he's given the lust of his own hearts, Of his own heart. He runs straight for it. He doesn't look to the right or to the left. He runs straight for the sin that he already, already wanted. That's exactly what we do when God gives us up to our passions or affections. God is holding people back from their degrading passions while they suppress the truth of Him. Then one day He lets go and they run right into that passion. And these passions are what the New Testament calls reproachful, shameful, vile, and dishonorable. That's the passions. It's not a good passion. It's not a passion that they had for Yahweh in all of His glory. It's a passion they had for the lust of their own hearts. It's the passion they had because they wanted to exchange the glory of the, crea the Creator for the glory of creation. I want to make this point careful though. Think of this though. There's a man in a rowboat and he's told, North, if you head north, you will glorify God. What does he do? He goes south. 
He chooses to row south. And in rowing south, you know what he does? He glorifies God. Because whether he's doing whether he's being obedient or disobedient, God will be glorified in it. Because he will be glorified in displaying his love, mercy, and grace upon that person, or he will be glorified in displaying his justice and wrath on that person. But at, at the end, God will be glorified. And this is where mankind is. These men and women who suppress the truth, God has given them over to their vile affections and, one, and will one day pour out His justice and wrath on them forever. And He will be glorified in that. I was listening to a message this week. I don't even know who the guy was. I'm gonna, I, this ain't in my notes, but it just popped into my head. Philippians chapter 2. If you will turn there. Grab this real quick. Zach, do you mind reading 9 through 11? Philippians 2. Yep, Philippians 2, 9 and through 11. For this reason also God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Notice there... that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And then it says, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It doesn't say Christians, that's it. It doesn't say the elect. It says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the point there. No matter whether God is giving them over to their vile affections, though they're not in so doing choosing to glorify God, they are, God will still be glorified. Because His justice will be meted out upon them. The next thing is the women. We see, for this cause, the cause, God gave them up to their vile affections. That's their affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Notice where you, why does Paul start here? Paul starts with the women. Why? That's my, when, I'm, when I'm going through text, that's, I'm always thinking, why? Why would you do this? Why, would you, why did you say this? But why do you start with the women here? And I think it's because it's shocking when a culture has women involved in all this sexual immorality. It's, it's not so shocking when we see men as brute beasts running after sex. But it's shocking when the women are doing it. And that's what Paul's dealing with here. Even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. This is what was happening in Rome. Even the women. This is what's happening today in America too. Even the women. Without getting too much into the psyche of men and women, I think we all know that men's minds are way more warped when it comes to this than women's. 
Yet, when God has given them up to their minds, they go headlong into the same vile passion. It's almost a proof to us that God has given somebody up. Even the women. And it says the use. That's the next thing here. They exchanged or changed the natural use into that which is against nature or unnatural. Just as they exchanged the glory of the Creator for the glory of the creation, they exchanged the natural use for the unnatural. I, I honestly never knew this until I started exegeting this text this week. That the, the word for use there, it actually means of the sexual use of a woman. That's what it means. So what they did what in verse 26, For even their women did change the natural use, that, that word right there, for the natural sexual use of the woman, for that which is against nature, which, which is unnatural. So there's no question on what Paul is talking about here. I know some people want to say, well, he wasn't talking about homosexuality. He maybe was talking about this or that. That's what Paul is talking about. It's very clear in the text. They exchanged the natural sexual use for unnatural. That's what the text says. And I think by using the word natural, we also get this picture here too. That nature itself knows the natural use of sex is to procreate. Yet mankind perverts it. And this should shock us. This should shock us that when you, see, when you look out at nature, you see males with females procreating and making other of their kind. Yet when we look at mankind, we see males with males and females with females. And we know this is unnatural because earth couldn't exist if that was the case. If, if every single male was with a male and every single female was with a female, we would all die and there would be no humans left. It's unnatural. That's what the text says too. That's not, I, it, it's hard to preach on this kind of stuff. That's what I said. It's a hard text and people don't want to touch this text. But that's what the text says. It's unnatural. It's a vile affection. I also have to say this is why there's so many babies murdered today. Because the natural use was to multiply, was to procreate, was to make babies. That's what the natural use was. For man and woman to come together in love and produce another human being. That's what it was, that, that is what the natural use was. Yet people want to do it, anything and everything they want now, and then all of a sudden they're pregnant and they don't want the baby. So they murder the baby. And nature itself doesn't do this. <laughs> Yet those created in the image of God pervert the natural use as we pervert every good thing that God has given to us. The next point here is the men. We've seen the women. We've seen, their vile, we've seen the vile affection. We saw the calls. We saw the women. We saw the use. We see the men. The men also, as it says in verse 27, and likewise also the men. They leave the natural use of woman. I know that sounds sexist. <laughs> but women were made for men. There's only one here today, but... You were created as a helper, as a helpmeet, as a help suitable for Zach. 
And that doesn't mean that you are to be used as our culture uses that term. And it also means that that doesn't give you an excuse to treat your woman like she's a piece of property or to be used. You should guard and protect her. You should lead her as you follow Christ. You should lead her gently as well. Not with a harsh attitude. And this text isn't talking about using a woman as a piece of meat. But that she is used in procreation by the man. That's, that's what the term means. I know we, we like to throw around so-and-so used her or used him. That's not what this is talking about. She is used in procreation by man. But in our text, man has left her for what? For a man. That's the vile affection Paul is talking about. Men with men working that which is unseemly. Honestly, in thinking on this passage this week, I started to try to think. I couldn't think of one scripture, and I don't, even think, I don't think there is one. If there is, correct me. I couldn't think of one scripture that warns man about the temptation of lusting for another man. I just don't see it. I don't see I never see that. What I do see is warnings, men, don't chase that woman. Don't, don't give in to her flattering eyes. We, I, I, I never see the warning that you might be tempted to lust after another man. The only time we see that is in judgment. And that's what this text is about. We see it in judgment at Sodom and Gomorrah. And we see it in judgment right here. And notice what the text says. They burned in their lusts or desire for one another. And likewise also, the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly. This is what happens when you worship man. When you exchange the glory of God for the glory of creation. Now this isn't the only thing that happens, but it's one of them. Like I mentioned last week, I think Paul is dealing with this first because the Romans were man worshippers. And the men they worshipped were guilty of this very sin. And we know, as we're going to get into next week, Paul continues on into other sins that men commit when they worship creation. However, he starts here, and this is what we, we, we don't get to skip over this text. We aren't given an option to skip over a text because it's too hard. We must deal with it. His last phrase there, it says, "...and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which was meat." The last point is the judgment. Remember, this is judgment from God. For what? Suppressing the truth. Not being thankful. Exchanging the glory of the Creator for the creation. Then in doing so, God gives them over to judgment, which is being left to their own lustful hearts. God doesn't kill them right then, which He could. He could just, and it, us included... He could have justly killed every single one of us when we first sinned. And when we suppressed the truth, He could have done it. And righteously. But He didn't. He gives them over to the lust of their own hearts. I know from what this text says, 
what this text is dealing with. This is what our culture likes to call pride. And that's surely what it is. But what does God do to the prideful? He resists them. That's what the text says. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Isn't it ironic that they take the name prideful for unnatural, lustful, vile behavior? However, that's what it is. That's exactly what it is. It's prideful. When they suppress the truth, when they, when they exchange the glory of the Creator for the creation, that's prideful. But they love it. Now, as Christian, we... We, we can say they can have that name. I don't want to be called prideful. I don't want to have to do with anything with pride because pride comes before the fall. But I'll say this, this is a little side note, a little pet peeve, I guess. They can't have the rainbow. That's a picture of a covenant of God made with man that He would not destroy the earth. That's ours. That was given to man. And when we see that, we see... Our God is a covenant-keeping God. They don't get that. That's not theirs. They can call themselves prideful all they want, but they don't get the rainbow. That's, that's, be, that's, that's God's sign. And I'm not trying to necessarily lambash homosexual, homosexuality here, but Paul's kind of doing it. He doesn't pull his punches, if you will. He says in this very text that it is a judgment of God. That behavior of theirs is the due penalty for their error. I want us to see just for a minute what this error was. The word used means wandering, straying about, mental straying, error or wrong opinion. You see that? This due penalty came from the thoughts. And I know oftentimes we think our thoughts don't matter. Their sin was in their minds. They exchanged the glory of God in their minds. They weren't thankful in their minds. They suppressed the truth in their minds. That's where this started and God gave them over to the reprobate mind. That's what next week is in verse 28. I'm not going to exegete any of this. And it says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Their sin started in their minds. It wasn't that God started His judgment because they were already doing these sins, but because they started in their minds to suppress the truth, exchange the glory of God for the glory of the creation, and they weren't thankful. Therefore, He gave them up to these sins to practice them. So God gives them over to their own minds. In application, we're going to application right now. So piggybacking kind of off what the last point of doctrine right there was, let's guard our minds. That's where your sin starts. You think about it, then you do it. So right thinking precedes right actions, right? 
And how do we get right thinking? Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word I have hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. It says in Colossians, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Don't take God's word for granted. Put it in your Put the Word in your mind. Meditate on it. Dwell in it. That I might not sin against thee. How else? Maybe listen to preaching during the week. Tell me that doesn't get your mind. Your, your mind starts thinking about God when you're listening to preaching. When you're doing other things, whatever it may be, you're not... You may be thinking about God, but you may not be. But when you're listening to preaching, I don't think you have much of a choice but to, but to be meditating upon God and worshiping Him. There's a lot of good faithful preachers out there to listen to, and I think we should make the most of them in our free time. How about prayer? I'll tell you, there's times when I don't make it about five minutes and I need to pray again because my mind's going off somewhere it shouldn't go. There's actually times in prayer when I'm actually like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get down, I'm going to pray. And in my prayer, my mind wanders. And I have to pray to God to allow me to pray to God. Like, please, God, allow me to pray to you. Because my mind is wandering here and here. And instead of focusing on Him and His glory. And it may, may or may not be a sinful thought. It may just be what I'm going to do tomorrow. What I'm going to eat later. But we want to have God in our forefront. So let's be sure to protect, feed, and guard our minds carefully. Second thing of application here. Second point of application. <clears throat> and I know it may sound ungracious towards those... Uh, I don't know if it's politically correct or not, but those of a different sexual orientation... Though I won't back down from it being sin. It's definitely sin. The, the text is clear. It's a judgment of God. I still think we need to be gracious to Him. The only difference between you and them is the grace of God. That's it. And remember that. And it's not only that. You may see the worst of sinners. But remember that but by the grace of God, there you go. Even the worst, you can think of the worst serial killer known to man. And there, but the, by the grace of God, there you go. The worst of serial killers is still a human with a stony heart that you would have if Christ wouldn't have came in and regenerated your heart. So be gracious to people. Be gracious. By being gracious, it doesn't mean that we're not being honest either doesn't mean that we back down from the truth and we're scared to tell the truth to people. It just means we tell the truth in a gracious manner. What does it say? Let your words be seasoned with salt. The third point is, though we see this as judgment from God, they need the Gospel. God saves people through the preaching of the Gospel. And that's what we do. We preach the life that Christ came and fulfilled the law that none of us could fulfill. Even myself, every single time I preach to somebody, I say, and I start dealing with their sins, and I say, I'm guilty of the same thing. I've been guilty there too. 
I'm no different than you when it comes to that. When I say, have you ever stolen anything? They say, yes. I say, well, I have too. I'm not free from sin. But Christ came to fulfill that law for us. And then He, he walked to that Roman cross and died and was paid for sin. The sin of His elect. He paid for all of them. The sins all of us will do tomorrow, they're already paid for. And what happened? Three days later, He rose. Victorious over death, hell, Satan, and sin. And He ascended to the right hand of the Father and sat down in victory. And He did all that for sin and for sinners. Whether it be homosexuality or drunkenness or murdering or stealing or lying. Or as our text gets down to, to the finer things of not being thankful. Jesus died for them sins. We can't say that since a person is committing some certain sin that God has finished with them. We still plead with sinners and pray for sinners for God to save them. That's why we're here. God could have easily, every single one of His elect, He could have easily saved them and immediately took us home. Yet, He leaves us here. Why? Because we have work to do here, brother. And God will use us to advance His kingdom. So in the words of the hymn writer, he says, let's work for the night is coming when man's work is over. Amen.